Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. Super excited to be back on the channel. We got the move to the old office. Went to the new office, back to the old office, and uh, got the audio problems resolved. And uh, it's, it's great. We got a lot of stuff to talk about, guys. First and foremost, let's talk about when the banking system will collapse. Now, a lot of you are probably, oh, George, this is this clickbait title. How could you do this? Oh, really? Let me ask you a quick question. Let's just assume for a moment that the Federal Reserve would not have come out with the bank term funding program. That was basically the bailout of the entire banking system when Silicon Valley Bank First Republic signature went bust. What if they would have not come to the rescue? Would the banking system have collapsed back then? I think most of you would answer yes. The probability is very, very high. Okay, so let's just fast forward a little bit past today and think about wait a minute that bank term funding program was temporary let's go right over to the fed's website actually before we do let's go to the uh fred website and i want to look at how much this is being utilized so i know a lot of you watch pretty much every one of my videos and i thank you for that but for those of you who might be new to the channel just an FYI, the bank term funding program, which is the Fed's way to bail out the banking system back in March 2023, uh, that has not gone down. You would assume that, oh my gosh, well, the, the, the banks, they're, they're free and clear. There's no more problems. No, that's not true because they're still utilizing this emergency tool, let's say. And I would also point out that even back in March of 2023, when the stuff was really hitting the fan, they were using this to the tune of about $64 billion. Now, try 108. So at all-time highs, it's not going down, is my point. It's going up and up and up, which would imply that there could be further cracks beneath the surface that we're not seeing in the overall banking system. But let's go over to the uh, federalreserve.gov, and this is a PDF that I just pulled up because I want to highlight, first and foremost, the structure of this plan. And unfortunately, my highlighter tool did not work on this PDF, <laughs> which it usually does. But here you go. When will the program be operational? Well, it'll be operational as of March 12, 2023. We know that. We're looking in the rearview mirror. But the important question is how long will the program be in effect? According to the Fed, this is not permanent, this is temporary. Now, I'm sure most of you right now are quoting Milton Friedman, saying there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. I get it. I get it. But let's take them at face value for the time being. So this program ends, and here's the punchline, guys. This is the title of the video, March 11, 2024. So assuming they don't extend this program or come out with more central planning, you can mark this date on your calendar. This is basically when the banking system would collapse. You say, oh, George, well, the JP Morgans and the Wells Fargo, uh, they're, they're a-okay. They're no problem, right? But if you understand the banking system, there's so much systemic risk. I don't think you can sit there and say with a straight face that if half the regional banks go bust, that that isn't going to impact JP Morgan or that isn't going to impact the entire system. I mean, let's just go back to the GFC. We can see how much systemic risk is ingrained 
into the overall system. If you ever wanted proof, there you go. And I would argue that there's far more systemic risk now than there was back in, 20, uh, in, in 2008 during the GFC. So again, mark this date on your calendar, March 11, 2024. That is when the banking system will collapse, just taking them at their word that they won't do anything. Now, of course, the next question is, well, all right, George. Well, I, I get that they're saying that it's temporary, but it's most likely permanent. So what are they going to do? Okay, this leads us to a very interesting rabbit hole, if you will, where I'll save this for another video because I think this could take us to a central bank digital currency. Why do I say that? Just a quick Reader's Digest version. As you can see that the Fed can't just take this back on March 11th. Now, they, well, they could, but they'd implode the whole system. So it's likely they're not going to do that. So what this means is that we have more and more and more of the assets of the overall banking system going from their balance sheet basically over to the Feds. I get it. They're using it as collateral. But I think the more of these uh, crises that we have, the more of those assets, the more of the overall economy, let's say, will move over to the Fed's balance sheet. And this is a way to uh, not just implement a CBDC, but implement even more control to where I think they capture the overall lending of the United States to the, to the uh, private sector, to the consumer. Or the Federal Reserve steps in and says, oh, no, 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 this is way too risky. We can't have these uh, banks with systemic risk. We've gone through all these regulations, Basel III, look, they're all blowing up. We've got to have this bank term funding program or something like it every single year. And these programs have to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Why are we doing that? We're, we're just in a hamster wheel here. This makes no sense. Why don't we, the Fed, step in? Because we can't go bust. And we will start issuing credit. We will start giving loans. And plus, another benefit is we don't have to give loans based on merit or credit score. We know that a credit score, that's nothing but an invention of the, uh, of the, the, male, the, the white male patriarchy. <laughs> we, we know that the only reason that this exists is because of the, the white Christian straight male patriarchy. And we've got to get, and we know that's bad. That's for sure. So why don't we just get rid of the patriarchy or the patriarchal system that we know is so unfair and we can start giving loans to the people who really deserve it. And that's the disadvantaged groups. And, we, and we'll determine who deserves it based on political narrative and just get rid of that stupid credit score that only those white, straight Christian males like. <laughs> you know, you can see it. I'm, I'm obviously kind of making light of it. But is that really a joke? I mean, let's be honest, guys. In today's day and age, could you see them doing that? My answer is yes, absolutely. Hey, guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks 
and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Getting back to this article here, there's some more really, really important data that we need to go over. So this is very short here. Uh, ter- the, the next uh, let's see line item here is how do the reserve banks determine the borrower's eligibility? Okay, you guys know basically anyone with a pulse. <laughs> and then they go, what, what I think is hilarious is they go over the difference between the bank term funding program and primary credit. And uh, it, it's basically, we will take any collateral, uh, or I'm sorry, we'll take almost any collateral with no haircut whatsoever. Now, what's really, really interesting here, when I went through these details, and believe it or not, I actually read this prior to going live today, something very rare for me. But I want you to notice the cost right here, D2. And we're getting into this, the fine print, if you will. It, and Josh, actually, I'd like you to write this down because I next time, I know you'll probably talk to Snyder today. So I'd, I'd be very interested to get Snyder's opinion on this. So D2 dash or d.2 of this uh, pdf from the fed advances made under the program so this is loans under the the bank term funding program which to be clear you take your treasuries or you take your collateral you pledge it to the fed and they give you 100 cents on the dollar where if you went out into the market they'd give you 70 cents on the dollar you'd have to take a haircut and that would blow up your equity and the bank would go bust so this, for those of you who haven't followed this from the beginning, that's what's going on here at the bank term funding program. The Fed basically gives them 100 cents on the dollar, even for collateral, it's worth 70 cents on the dollar. But they do charge them. So they say uh, what they charge them is an OIS, over, excuse me, one-year overnight index swap. OIS is sh- short for overnight index swap. This rate as of the day of the advance was made plus 10 basis points. So what's actually really cool here is they give us a link so we can see what the going rate is right now for this bank term funding program. And I'm kind of making an assumption here, but what it seems because they don't really break out or break down the interest rates based on collateral. So I would assume it's just one flat rate and this is 5.8. Four eight percent, and that is as of October 24, 2023. So you may say to yourself, okay, George, why is this important? Okay, so for I know a lot of you follow Snyder. If you're not, you should, Jeff Snyder, with Eurodollar University. And he has been talking about something that's very weird going on in repo right now. And that is that a lot of these repo transactions are being collateralized, once again, with mortgage-backed securities. And how, let, let's just say that we've got an, uh, a pie chart that represents 100% of the collateral in the repo market at any given time. Well, back prior to the GFC, it was, let's just say, 50-50. Just so you, I, I don't know if it was 50-50, but we'll just use that for the sake of example. 50% T-bills, let's say, and 50% mortgage-backed securities. Well, then after the GFC, as you can imagine, no one wanted those mortgage-backed securities anymore. So that part of the collateral pie just went away. And then it became, let's just say, 90% T-bills and maybe 10% mortgage-backed securities or ABS, something like that. Well, what Snyder has been talking about 
with his analysis and research is showing that lately, let's just say over the last few months or so, that we have seen this skew back, maybe not to where it was part of the GFC, but to where if you looked at an overall pie chart, there would be a, a much higher percentage allocated to mortgage-backed securities as far as their use in the overall uh, collateral system and repo. So people basically, bottom line here, is a lot of these entities, these financial institutions are preferring mortgage-backed securities to T-bills. So this is kind of a head scratcher. That's never happened, well, at least going back to the GFC. And why would anyone prefer to have a mortgage-backed security on their balance sheet other than a T-bill, especially if they want to use that for collateral or whatever financial shenanigans <laughs> that they want to come up with, whatever financial engineering. This is where I, and Josh, this is what you should talk to Snyder about, because I may be completely misreading this, but if I'm a financial institution and I can get, let's say 7% on a mortgage-backed security, because you're taking 10-year and there's going to be plus a spread on that for, uh, for basically your risk premium, right? So let's just say that on a mortgage-backed security, I can get 7%. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to take that mortgage-backed security. But let's say my end game is not to own that mortgage-backed security, but it's to own, let's say, a, a T-bill, or it's just to have some sort of collateral that I can turn into liquid cash if need be and not take a big haircut from the bank. Because sure, I might be able to use that as collateral, but I'll have to pay a much higher interest rate because there's more risk involved. If I want to turn that collateral into instant liquidity, to do some other financial engineering <laughs> to further financialize the economy above and beyond where it is right now. So let's think this through. What I can do is I can buy that mortgage-backed security and I can pledge it to the Fed and I can get 100 cents on the dollar, 100 cents what I paid for it, but I'm still collecting the interest rate. But what am I paying for that loan? I'm only paying 5.48%. So I'm pocketing the spread. Whereas if I were to buy a, a, a T-bill, or a 10-year treasury as an example, and I pledge that to the Fed, well, now all of a sudden, I'm only collecting, let's say, 5% on that 10-year treasury. But I'm having to send it over to the Fed, and they're charging me 5.48% to make that thing liquid, to use that as collateral. Okay, well, if I can take that mortgage-backed security and get that same liquidity using that as collateral, but instead I'm pocketing the spread between 5.48% and whatever I'm getting on that mortgage-backed security. Let's just call it 7%. So, I, and, and then, by the way, let's just say that you even want that T-bill. What you can do is just, you take your uh, mortgage-backed security, you pledge it as collateral, you get the cash from the Fed, you take that cash, you go out to the market and buy the T-bill. Now you got both, right? What's your downside there? especially because you have no risk because you can't take a haircut in the mortgage-backed security because, again, you can just pledge it to the, the, the Fed and get 100 cents on the dollar. So I don't know that if this is going on, but I can tell you that if I was one of these financial institutions, this is exactly what I'd be doing. <laughs> so, I, so I don't know why they wouldn't be doing this unless there's something here that I'm not seeing. And that very well could be because, guys, at the end of the day, as you know, I'm not an expert here. I'm just kind of using common sense and trying to connect the dots. But that was one thing that I found very interesting with this PDF on the bank term funding program. But again, the main takeaway for you guys on this live stream right now is to understand that unless they change something, March 11th, 2024 is when the stuff in the banking system will absolutely hit the fan. 
So if your conclusion is that they will have to come up with a new program or they will have to extend this program, then what you need to do is say, ask yourself, okay, what's the likely solution in their eyes? You're looking at it through the lens of the central planner. And does this take us closer and closer to a central bank digital currency and the Fed extending credit and maybe a hybrid method with the banking system? Or do they take it all onto their balance sheet and just start extending credit based on political narrative? And how many years down the line will this come to fruition? So that's the seed that I wanted to plant in your mind with this video and really get you start uh, and, and get you, encourage you to start thinking about that. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. We'll see you on the next video.